0: Zayel Hakodesh tells us of a testimony not by the Rabbis, but by Hashem himself. The Malach Dumah, the Angel Dumah, is the angel who is appointed over Gehennem. Gehennem is the suffering of a soul who was sentenced there after a person passes away, and that is called death, not for the body, but death for the soul. A soul is sentenced to death, meaning he is sent to Gehenim. Zari Kaddish says that the Malach Dumor this angel came before Hashem, very triumphantly said, I demand a soul of King David. He deserves death because he has committed the sin of living with a married woman, about which the Torah says the penalty is death. Hashem replied, Hashem replied, these are the words of Hashem. King David did not sin. King David is completely pure. Remember the words of Hashem, Hashem leh MS, emes, the words of Hashem are, are only emes the truth. So we have here the exact words of Hashem who states emphatically, clearly, King David did not commit a sin, he is pure. First place, Hashem will not explain Bathsheba was the zivug of King David. She was destined for him, she was his wife. This is predestined from the moment that the world was created, the very moment of creation was already written down as his fate, his destiny, that Bathsheba was his wife. Of course, he did not receive her simply, easily meaning that she had to first become the wife of another person and this is similar to all those cases that Zayda Kaddish mentions the Klippah the Lepli Hashem created the world in such manner that we cannot have the rich fruit without first having to remove the Klippah the rind, the shell we could not have Eretz Yisrael in all its purity, and all its holiness, and all its glory before it first fell into the hands of the Canaanites, the Arab countries. Avraham Avinu could not get to Edech before he first went down to Egypt. The Jews could not receive the Torah before they first became enslaved, the lowest form of slavery going descending down to the 49 degrees of depths of and impurity. And so too, in this sacred union of King David and Bathsheba, there had to come first the Klippa before the Pri. The Rind first. She had to first be taken by someone else, temporarily, before she became united with King David to give birth to King Solomon, the wisest of all people in his time, and birth of Moshiach, the future king of the Jews. And therefore, Hashem said, he took what was his. Plus, the fact that she was not married. The fact that she she had received a divorce legally. Secondly, Uriah did not contaminate her. She was untouched. Therefore, Hashem said his name is Uriah. The last two letters of his name are Yud-K, the name of Hashem, to show that he felt subconsciously his duty to abstain from living with her because she belonged to King David she was legally his wife. Uriah was pure. She remained pure. There was no union between the two ever. Now, secondly, if, as the Malach Duma maintained, that the kavana it would seem, the intentions of King David seemed to be impure, the fact that he told Uriah to go to his home, live with his wife, and then send him out to battle, these actions would seem impure. To this, Hashem replied these words. Well, we want to quote the words verbatim, the words of Isaiah Kodish. Kodesh. Hashem replied, Zako'ahu ubris kadisho otikunei kaimo. That David is pure. He is a tzaddik who is impeccable. That means perfection. Tzaddik to perfection. As far as the Habris, He was perfect. There was no pegam chas whatsoever. These are the words of Hashem. Secondly, Hashem said, according to you, you malach dumo, even if you say there was a sin, He confessed. The rules are, one who confesses his sin is forgiven for it. What further claim can you have? Especially since, I add once more, Hashem said, there was no sin involved. To this, the Zehari says, Dumo was removed shamefacedly at his claim. And this too was the Pesach we found in Tilim, where King David said, "Lulay Hashem is if not for the fact that Hashem assisted me in this battle with this angel, Kemat Shachna Dumo Nafshi it would practically be forced to be together with Dumo in Gehenna. Now, this is one statement in the Zehari where well, we have a definite testimony of Hashem in reference to the story. Second statement, interesting point brought out in the Kodesh 2, is on the Posek v. Avraham, Zokain, Bayomim. The Israeli Kodesh says that Avraham was Zokain, old. Zokain, of course, means Zikna, Chachma, Kedusha, he was holy because Bobayomim, because it was natural that a tzaddik, as he grows older, acquires more and more credits, more and more holiness. Therefore Romino was great because he was old, he had acquired so many credits. This is for Tzaddikim. But one who is a Balchuva, one who repents, can become this great even when he is young, because he leaps over many levels of holiness and achieves a high level, a high madriga, much more quickly than does a tzaddik who goes gradually. And here the Zayda stresses that King David, the same Pesach is written about King David. It says, with David Zokain, Bo Bayomim. King David was old. Bo Bayomim means that when he was older he became this Zokain, this level of Kedusha that comes to a tzaddik. The Zaydi Kodesh says, note that he arrived at this in his hypno, his old age, meaning that King David cannot be classified as a Bachuva. He cannot be classified as one who repented for any sin because there was no sin to repent for. Here we see a clear statement that there was no chuva on the part of King David, so that any statement about Tshuva on the part of King David was meant only, as the Gemara said, a lesson for future generations to know that chuva is possible but that, that he required any tshuva. Our final step further will take the words, we can now understand a little, the words of Rabbi L'Azal, who says very clearly that King David, Chasa Shalom could not have and did not commit any sin whatsoever. No type of sin whatsoever, because that possibly means, the word means a vacuum, his heart was empty of evil, of any Yitzhahara, and Cholo means a corpse. King David said, I have slain completely the Yetzirah in my heart. There exists no life whatsoever from this Yetzirah. Without a Yetzirah, a person cannot commit any sin. He does not have a desire for sin. And therefore, Abedanel says it was impossible for King David, who was so great a tzaddik, to have committed a sin begashmius, a physical sin, that is so low, so sordid, and so base, that even for the lowest person in the world, it's considered a disgusting type of sin. And therefore, too, the Abednego adds, in the case of Shlomo HaMalach, when the Gemara says, too, that Shlomo did not commit a sin, he who thinks he committed a sin with many wives is just as foolish and is committing as great an error as speaking against King David. Because Shlomo HaMalach, the Pesach testifies to, the fact that he was he was wiser, he had more than any other person alive true wisdom means the wisdom of the Torah the wisdom of recognizing the existence of Hashem the wisdom of emuna. to a person who has the slightest bit of wisdom the says then there is no real test in Tevas nashim to fall victim to a desire of the sin of Chilal HaBrizcha this takes a person who has no wisdom at all, a person who is extremely foolish, because one who has any wisdom at all, true Chachma, through Kedusha, cannot consider that as a test whatsoever. And even in the case of Yosef Hatzadik, who was called Tzadik because he passed this test with Potiphar's wife, Abinadol says, Chasmish Shalom to think that his greatness was because he passed this test, Begashmius. There was no such thing as a test for him. He was so great prior to this, he could not have had that low base animal desire for a woman. And therefore his test was something much higher. Ben mm-hmm. explained that with these great tzaddikim, their test is something spiritual. They actually do battle, not against the Yitzhahara, but actual battle against the Malach HaKodesh, against the Satan himself. Just as Yaakov Avina wrestled with this angel, literally, So do these tzaddikim do battle with that angel, himself, that satan. And their battle is won of being mantik dinim. There are certain heavenly forces, type of the satan, who comprise the dinim Xalis in heaven. And it's up to the tzaddikim to be mantik these dinim, to remove these harsh decrees in heaven, to sweeten them and to convert them to chasadim, to kindness. This is what's meant by doing a mitzvah The Dukhra, the, the Zohar, is the Hasodim and the keva is the Dinim and this Yichud, unite the united two the purpose is so that the Zohar can be mantik the Dinim of the keva. This is done through the mitzvahs of Tzaddikim The battle that a Tzaddik goes through in life, his mochama is to do battle against these Kayach of Dinim took this dinamat to change them to Chasadim. That's what the Gemara says, that Tzadikim convert Midas Hadin to Midas These are the, the battles of these great Tzadikim, the Nisyanus, the Tes, Yosef Sadik, David HaMelech. In his case, these were his battles. Yotcha Adom Maleu, Hashem said to King David, you cannot build a base of Mikdash because your hands are filled with blood what blood did he have on his hands he fought battles to defend jewish lives he fought battles to destroy enemies of the jews he fought battles to rescue the land of israel the land of hashem from these goyim what kind of blood is that the answer again is that the word blood or the word red refers to din white is the color of chesed it was his duty in life to be Mumtic these dinim not take these dinim until they are nimtak, until they are sweet, until they are removed they cannot be the whiteness, the chassadah, the b'shemikdash which was left to King Solomon this then is the truth about the story of David and Basheva. point in the story main point is that this is a controversy very controversial story and it is a warning for every Jew every religious minded Jew with faith, to know that there exists at all times a very powerful Yitzhahara. This Yitzhahara exists especially in the hearts of those who are learned. Learned such as the formed the Reformed Rabbis, those who are maskilim, those who are Chokrem, those who study philosophy, study the Teit the Form of Philosophy, Nachman al and they consider themselves high enough, Achman al-Islam big enough, great enough, to criticize the great tzaddikim of the past. Especially when it comes to speaking about a pegam, a chayt on the part of a tzaddik, they feel that they are enough of an authority to speak about the sinner Khait. This is the controversy known as, nowadays, as the Mulchemes Geig goyg, Before the coming of Mashiach, there's this battle of Geig umo Ben Adel says this means geig u means the battle of emuna against Kfirah because geig u is begimatria 70 that means the evil of all these 70 nations combined against the one nation of the Jews B'nai Israeli Am Yisrael is chad is echad just as Hashem is one there is this war before Mashiach's coming of emuna against Kfirah and in this war Yamuna of a Jew is tested his faith in Hashem and his faith in Sadiqim. To prove his faith that the purity of a Tzaddik is one that cannot be attacked, that cannot be touched, Al Tiglubim a Jew should never dare to raise his voice, to open his mouth against these great Tzaddikim, Shichai Hashem. And that is why we are certain that in Edom Habor, the Bezdin Shamalah, when a Jew is called upon, To speak, to repeat his words while during his lifetime, in this heavenly trial at the tribunal, before these judges. And who are these judges in the heavenly tribunal? The Bezdin Shamalah? These judges are the tzaddikim on earth. While they were on earth they were tzaddikim who taught, who attempted to inspire to fill Jews with Emuna, with knowledge of teda. In heaven, they turn to judges against these people who refuse to accept their advice. And so at this trial, when a person is asked, what was your Amunah like? And if he replies that while on earth, I believed implicitly in the complete purity and holiness of tzaddikim, that I defended the cover the honor of King David, against those who wished to slander him by making such false statements about him, then without a doubt, at that Besnishamallah, King David will rise up, in turn, to defend this person who is on trial. His statement will be, you defended me, you defended my honor during your lifetime, I in turn now will defend you. This applies to to all tzaddikim, and therefore it is our duty and our privilege to strengthen ourselves with this emuna, emuna ba Hashem and Mesha Avdai, that means emuna and Hashem and all great Sadiqim, we believe in them implicitly, and the ischus of this Amunah, well, we then see the coming of Mashiach ben David. to Tashuri, Mesha Amunah, the Gemara says that the Iker main key in seeing the Geulah Shlemah is through Reish Amunah, that above all else should be this pure faith on the part of a Jew. With this faith, he will merit seeing the coming of Mashiach at Keinu Nebiyam Beisamikla, Shem'heinu B'yameinu, Amen We continue the Sheer in Navi. The Torah tells us that one day David HaMelech was sitting in his home That means in his palace and meditating He had found a short period during his lifetime where there was peace there were no battles going on he had a chance to think a little deeply then he felt a little sad he called in Nasa the prophet and he said to him i feel very badly because i sit here in surroundings that are royal a palace luxury i look at and i see that the shechina the spirit of Hashem in turn doesn't have a dwelling that is fit for the honor of Hashem. How is that possible that my palace, the palace of a human king of flesh and blood, should be nicer, more luxurious, richer than the palace that is due to the king of kings, the Hashem? Therefore King David said to Nassau the prophet, it is my wish to build a holy temple for Hashem. Thus the Prophet replied, with all due respect to the king, he said, You are the king. You are the master. You can do as you please, of course. If you wish to build a temple for Hashem, for the Shekhinah, go right ahead. Why should you have anything stop you? And he left. This was towards evening. It was nighttime. Hashem spoke to Nus of the Prophet, and he said to him, Hurry back, go back to King David, and deliver the message to him, tell him that Hashem has chosen him as king. He has chosen his children, his descendants also as king. Forever afterwards, at no time, no time in the future will there be a danger of the crown of the throne being taken from King David's family, just as it was taken from King Shul. The royalty will remain in his family forever after, even in the very distant future when Mashiach comes, the distant future, not very distant, then, today is the immediate present. Mashiach comes, he will also be the son of King David, and the kingdom will remain in his family forever. However, it will be his son, not he who will build the of the, the holy temple. His son, Shlomo HaMelech, Hashem said, will be like a son to me. And what is a son like? The son who behaves properly is treated nicely by the father. If the son misbehaves, then the father punishes this child. If King Solomon will misbehave, then I will punish him as a father would a child. But he will rule over the entire world, over the entire globe. There'll be no one to defeat him in battle. There'll be no battle. There'll be peace during his time. With what will I punish him? I'll punish him with not people, but nigei bene adam, which means children of Adam. Zohar Kodesh explains this more in depth. Nigei bene adam, the smitten children of Adam. We know that Adam is the father of all mankind every human being is a descendant of adam Arisham. so every person is called balei adam Hashem, the of Adam. heavens belong to hashem the earth hashem gave to balei adam the children of adam descendants of adam all humans are balei adam even those lahavdil who are not jewish all come from adam but there are Nige balei adam which means there are those who are not Humans. They're only partially human. These refer to the Shadim, the spirits that are half angel, half human. Shadim, the Mazikim, they are like angels in that they travel, they live partially in heaven. They can fly like angels with the same speed as angels. They can fly from here to heaven in a matter of or many times in seconds, which is much faster than the human concept can arrive at, much faster than any science fiction thought can conceive of. Because the distance from here to heaven is much further than the distance from here to the furthest planet star that exists. Just as an angel can travel a round trip here to heaven and back many times the angel of death, for instance, in less than one second, this is the power two of these shaders. They have this infinite speed. They also have the power of transforming themselves into anything they wish, human or otherwise, and they are still like humans in that they eat, they reproduce, they give birth, and they die. These are called nigei other adam. Where did they come from? They are not angels created by Hashem. They are not humans born like regular humans. Where did they come from? The answer is there were a few original ones that were created, Gemara says, on Friday, the sixth day of creation before Shabbos began. It's a long story about that Gemara. but there are others known as B'nai Adam. These were the children of Adam, actually. He was their father. Because when the act, we not use the word, the sin, with the tree of wisdom was committed, When the act was done, Adam, in his deep repentance for this, doing Chuma, for this act, separated himself from his wife to punish himself, self-inflicted punishment, separated from his wife for a period of 130 years. During this time he had no relations with his wife at all. But at night, these original Shedim, or Shedos, female Shed, would come to Adam Arishon, and there would be this strange type of relationship of which he was just about unaware but would be sufficient for the Shado to give birth and so this these Shedim that were born as we said they reproduce like humans these that were born were born from Shedos, female Shedos. but the father still was Adam so they were called Nigé they Adam Children of Adam, but Nigai means like lepers, something that is Tome, the Shedom are considered Tome. Now these Shedom, since they are superhuman, they are half angel, yeah. they will be the ones to the which Shlom will be punished if something goes wrong. And that's why we have the whole story getting about Ashmedai, the king of the Shedom, who took over the throne of King Solomon for a while, at the time he lost his throne temporarily. In any event, this was the message that Hashem told nusun HaNavi to give, to transmit to David HaMelech. But, there was one additional point. It was simple. Tell King David, he is assured, he's a very great Sadik, he is beloved by Hashem, he will not be able to build a base of Mikdash, it will be done through his son Shlomo and he is assured that he'll have the kingdom in his family forever. But now Hashem said to Nusser HaNavi, To you I say, run, fly, as quickly as you can, because you don't know this person we're talking about. This King David, even you don't know him. You don't know what kind of a tzaddik he is. When he sets his mind to do a mitzvah, he is so set upon it that if you don't move quickly, he'll have started the building of the base of already. You've got to stop him before he begins. Because his mind is so set, he is such a Zoris, Digiloris says Zorus means he is so fast, he possesses such speed. When it comes to performing a mitzvah, that if you don't rush to him quickly to stop him, he'll start the mitzvah, he'll start the action, it'll be difficult to stop him when he's already started it. This of course is a lesson, very vital lesson, the Benazel speaks about this in the importance of Zenizus. Zenizus is one of the top qualities of Kenusha. Jesus means speed in doing something good. There are people who has shown use speed in going to commit sins, doing wrong. But this is Jesus in doing mitzvahs, there's a Zoriz V'Niskar, one who gets special credit aside from the mitzvah that is accomplished. There's additional reward. But the fact that he is one who does it quickly, he rushes to it. His, his desire for mitzvahs is so great that he flies. This shows his appreciation it is recognizing of the importance of the mitzvah, it shows his respect for the mitzvah, but this is one of the top qualities a person should attempt to acquire. When going about doing a mitzvah, remember that don't just do it in a lackadaisical way, but do it with speed, with appetite, with relish, because this shows the simcha shel mitzvah, which is the essence of the mitzvah itself, the very core the rich part of the mitzvah is the speed with which it's done. This was the quality of Davin Amelach. This is a lesson that's taught to all Jews to possess this quality in doing mitzvahs. The message was given to King David. He went to the Mishkan, temporary base of Mikdush. There he thanked Hashem. He accepted the decision. He left. Following this, King David had a session of battles, wars that took place. He went to war in the city of Gas, which is the capital city of the Plishtim, the Philistines. And he won this battle. He conquered the city, the capital of the Philistines. Then he went to the country of Moab. country of Moab, which we once discussed, the statement in the Zara Kodesh, Hashem had told Nasha Abedu, you go to battle, do battle against any of the other countries you want to, but not against Moab. You cannot touch Moab because I have a treasure waiting in Moab. Treasure of Moab is Rus. She is to be born yet from Moab, therefore that country cannot be touched because from Rus will come forth King David. So as bad as Moab is, leave them, don't touch them. When King David comes along, he will smite Moab. That's why now King David went out to battle against Moab and there he killed the leaders of Moab. But this was a different type of killing. He killed them with a vengeance, with such a hatred that it was unusual on the part of King David. Why did he attack Moab with such a venom, a venomous hatred? The Moab says because of the fact that when King David fled from King Shoal, he settled first in the land of Moab, and he was promised safety, refuge in Moab. In order to be certain of his safety, he took along his parents, his father Yeshai. Yishai, who was so great at tzaddik, he was one of those four people who never committed a sin in his lifetime. His mother, Bigmar, reveals her name. This is her name is not found in Navi. Bigmar reveals her name, his a secret name, Nitzavis Seves and remember he had seven brothers. He took along his brothers with him too, to hide out in the land of Moab. Now, one of those brothers fled from there to the land of Ammon why did that brother flee he was the only one that fled and thereby saved his life because the leaders of Moab turned round and rebelled lied as to their promise of safety for King David's family and they assassinated killed King David's father mother and brothers Innocent victims and such great Zadikim. There King David came back to avenge the death, the murder of his parents and his brothers. That's why he struck them down in a very disgraceful manner. He shamed them in their death. From there he went to Aram Damesik. He conquered them too. <laughs> they became slaves to him. Then he went to the land of Edom, There too, he battled against them. Everywhere he went to battle, Hashem was with him. He was successful. Taurus is because of the fact that he ruled over the Jews so justly, with such justice, that whatever act he did, Hashem was with him. And of course, this meant certain victory. There was one place, the land of Ammon, as we said, the king of Ammon, whose name was Nechash, did take the brother of King David in, saved his life, the one that escaped. And so when he died, his son Hanun took over as king, and King David decided to repay the kindness of the king of Ammon, by sending a special delegation, his personal delegates to the king of Ammon's son, as a sign of consoling him and his bereavement, sadness over the loss of his father. The servants of King David arrived at the palace, and the prince, present king of Ammon's advisers, told him that not to trust King David's servants. So they poisoned his mind. They told him that King David's servants came here to spy out the land. He accepted this wrong advice. When they entered, he ordered that they shave half of their beards; one side of their face be clean shaven and half of their clothes being ripped off. Uh, this disgrace, the servants of King David had to return home. Back to the land of the Jews, they reached the city of Hebron. They could not travel publicly. They'd be a laughing stock. They were so extremely embarrassed, they had to send a message to King David telling you what happened to them. King David said, you remain in Hebron until your beard grows back. This, of course, by the way, proves, conclusively, one of the many proofs that in those days, All Jews wore beards. Not only that, but, in fact, everyone wore beards. In those days, they did not know about shaving much. They would shave their heads. They would cut the hair because they had to put on tefillin, and so they had to see that the hair was no chatzitza. A person could not have a lot of hair in the front blocking the tefillin, because that meant there was a separation which kept the tefillin away from the head, and so it was not worn in a kosher manner. The hair on the back of the head that's blurrious, that was called Chukaz Ha'amin, the custom of Goyal, that we find many times in the Torah, and later on in the Gemara, where it is considered a despicable type of habit to have long hair on the back, like these musicians, or these non-musicians today, who wear long hair. This type of hairdo is perhaps good for the female side. But for a man, that is considered definitely taboo, legally, morally, ethically, according to the laws of the Torah, It is not just frowned upon, but it is considered very, very sinful. And so, it is something that a Jew should strengthen himself and see to it that he does not fall victim to this habit. Victim, victimized by the injections, the part of the satan, To the mind of a person that he is superior to others or at least equal to others if he joins in their mode in their custom their style of course this is all a test these are all tests as time goes by there are more and more these tests the conflict controversy between religion and science or religion and style religion and society whatever they conflict there's only one reason, and that is because of Bechira and Isoyun. says, every single thing you see in this world, bar none, this is a very powerful statement, look at anything in this world, and it, you'll see that it was created only because of a Bechira and Isoyun, because of the chance to test a Jew in his faith, and to test the Jew who has the power to select, to choose the right from the wrong. So this certainly is a mechira nisayuk, as well as all other revelations, or inventions, or discoveries, or so-called progress and advancement, are all put into this world through a decision of heaven to test a Jew. And this should not be a difficult test because all one needs to do is look in the mirror and say "ich." So. There's no real test here. There's nothing that's desirable in something which in itself should be uh, disliked or looked down upon as it was until 10 years ago when people were certainly more civilized. But this should not be a test, and this is something that should be repeated again and again until this plague is cleared out, at least among the Jews. Let the Goyim keep this. It is not Lova ba'elah chilek Yaakov. This is not the way of a Jew. So these servants of King David were told to remain in Hebron until their beard grows back. Just the beard, not the head. head, of course, didn't have to grow back. There was no long hair to cut in the first place. And then King David said, I'm going after the country of Ammon to avenge the honor of my servants. And Ammon realized what they're up against. They went out and they called upon the land of Aram, who was very powerful, to join them in battle against the Jews. And in this battle, Yoav and Avishai, the two chief top generals of King David, these two mighty generals, went out to do battle against Ammon and Aram. Joab, the more powerful one, took on Aram with his side of the army. Avishai took on Ammon, and Yoav said to his brother, whoever <coughs> is winning should go and help the, others, the other one too. When came forth to battle Aram, Aram began to flee. They fled and when Ammon saw Aram fleeing, Aram too fled. And so the battle was temporarily over. Till Aram decided to regroup and call upon more of its satellite nations. They got together a mighty army. This time King David himself entered into this battle and in a very short order he had wiped out the mighty army of Aram Assistance, he killed the the top generals, and forty thousand riders were killed by King David and his army. So successful was King David in this battle. Now uh, following this, following this and following the story about Sheva, Yog was sent out to do battle against Rabat Ammon, another section of Ammon, and he was at the point where the capital was about to fall into his hands. This was a great honor, great glory. We see here the pure loyalty of Yoav because he sent the message to King David and said the capital is about to fall. I don't want to take credit for it. I want my king, <coughs> your majesty, should have the credit for this. Come here, complete the battle, let the defeat of Rabatamon be attributed to you. Let the honor of victory be yours rather than mine. King David came, completed his victory, he took that over the capital of Rabatamon, he captured the crown, the throne of the king, and the crown was so big and so precious, more than any other crown of any country then, this was placed above King David's head as a sign of this major victory. That that he wore on his head was hung above his head, a sign of victory, but on his head he kept only the Hebrew crown that was so unique, a crown that proved who was the real king of the Jews, a crown that could fit only King David or his descendants. And so at this time, King David arrived again at a moment, when there seemed to be peace in Israel. A time of peace, a time when he could again settle down. But King David's plot, his life, his fate was one of uh, no rest throughout. For various reasons, we come next to the chapter dealing with the uprising within King David's own family. The fascinating story of King David's son of Shalom, relationship between father and son, we'll take this up in detail at the next Shir. We see from here, though, a number of moral lessons that we should take to heart. Above all, the mitzvahs. The reasons, as we said, person who should rush, hurry, to perform a mitzvah, how important that is to show his ahavah to Hashem, that when his king, when our king in heaven, our father in heaven, commands us to do something, we should perform this with Ahavah and with Zrezus, And how great the privilege is for a Jew who can do that, how much Hashem likes that and gives the added z'chai, added reward. But we we'll too, to see that the greatness of these great tzaddikim, King David himself, who was so loyal a servant of Hashem, and how our modern and should be strengthened, through this emunah will be too, to see the coming of the son of King David, Moshiach, the future king of the Jews. We should see with our eyes his arrival, the rebuilding of the base.